0: Everybody to slip. In. It's Friday afternoon, and we did not release a Friday show this week because I am an idiot. I deleted a show that I had recorded with Andrew Rains a few weeks ago that I completely forgot about, and then I attempted to recover it by paying ninety dollars to buy some software to recover that deleted file, and it didn't work. So now I'm out ninety dollars, and I'm out of podcast. So. Uh, we're going to give this another try. Uh, I've got Andrew Rains on the line and also at the internet request, Mike Lewin. Hi, guys. Hello, hello. Hello. So uh, many are probably familiar. Andrew is a partner of the show with Apex Pro and he's uh, a data expert. But Mike, if you're not already familiar, is uh, kind of crew chief and. Um, data and aero expert for professional awesome race design so it's great to have you both on the show
1: happy to be here thanks i, I appreciate it abe i, I forgive you for our, for deleting our show but uh i'm so definitely ashamed. A bummer.
0: it's so ridiculous and i told adam that spending 90 dollars and not even getting the the uh the file back makes it painful enough that it'll never happen to me again I, well, that's actually, the worst
2: yeah i've actually got some good software so if you really wanted to give it to me i might be able to archive that back out
0: well, it it was coming off of an SD card. That's the problem.
2: Oh, I've I've, I've pulled it back. Trust me, I've done some things.
0: Well, we'll see. <laughs> I've done shot. Some
2: I mean, if, I'm just saying. If you want me to give it a shot, I'll give that a shot too.
0: Uh, yeah, I would go for it. All right. Um, so anyway, uh, I first met Mike um, in 2016, which was Gridlife Three, and. Mike was the builder of the craziest race car that I'd ever seen a garage builder build. And uh, we've been kind of friends ever since. So yep. t- Can you can you tell the listeners that might be new to the show what Professional Awesome is, other than being professional awesome? Of
2: course, of course. So really, we started like most people. We just built cars in the garage we, we focused on time attack we were just trying to have some fun and and kind of challenge ourselves and then it kind of morphed into you know spending far too much of our lives and far too much of our money into racing and uh from there um we've always been pretty analytical we've always been willing to help people things like that so um you know the whole lifelong learner kind of a joke kind of thing there and uh just got more and more into things and got, you know, involved with more and more projects. And, and now we offer services for consulting in terms of engineering, um, our bread and butter is aero components and um, aerodynamics and um, suspension design. and But we also do data, we do treks to support services, we do... Um, basically anything that you could possibly imagine on a, on a race car. If you have questions for it, um, we've probably done it. We do it at a a pretty decent level. We do most things at a pretty decent level. So we try to help with whatever we can and and just help people go faster with good analytical decisions and not just, you know, what the internet told you to do.
0: Right. There's plenty of that. Plenty of that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so with, like you've you've been around time attack for an awfully long time how much of your venture is is going after wheel to wheel type race cars as well
2: yeah so th- actually that's been expanding pretty drastically in the last 2 years so we haven't been offering um so many of our services until about uh you know we just started 3 years ago before that we would help you know fellow competitors people who are friends those types of people um that's how we got hooked up with James Sutton and all those guys in Canada because we went up there just to have fun and James offered his house to stay in and the rest is history as you say so um we we started helping him but we we started helping more you know customers that we didn't really you know were connected to necessarily about two years ago and um we've got quite a few now road race cars that that, that we helped um past just time attack so like um obviously the the fastlers they they do wheel to wheel now but we've helped um quite a bit bit of uh nasa scca guys and then on up into world challenge cars things like that where um, Honda Racing Development, those guys as well, just just helping them make good decisions in that rule book, and, and we find that especially when you've got a series that you know there's these pre-built cars, there's they fit into these specs pretty tightly. Um, there's not a lot of creativity going on, um, mm-hmm. and if you're you know you're willing to try and you've got some expertise in an area like aero. Um, You can really make some pretty drastic improvements and then get bopped right out of it right after you get it done. But either way, for that one or two races, you'll be pretty freaking fast.
0: Reminds me a lot of uh, the Dinner with Racers episode about uh, the Level 5 program and the D-Sports Racers. That, That might be the greatest single racing podcast episode ever recorded but uh i think we see that sometimes with drivers who go crazy with the rule book and it's like you know you you can shear a, a sheep many times but skin it only once and it seems like even james in particular in gltc uh at coda is is right on that edge with respect to what you can do poor to the rules yeah. right so you don't you don't want to be so dominant that the rules come out and change quickly after yeah
2: you got to be that's the thing it's like you walk a line and and, and especially when people are really trying to bend those rules right you bend it until they till they are fatigue cracking but don't break as an engineering joke but yeah you you want to try to bend it that far because you don't want the rules to change right you don't want your car to become illegal you don't want all that stuff unless you're just trying to win one one race and so there's really in my opinion plenty of things that can happen, especially even on james 's car to even bend those rules further but I doubt that he would go that far just because it's not conducive to the series and it would get, you know, a lot of rules changed in the car band relatively quickly.
0: Well, one of the things that I've started to do for 2020, um, for the last three years, I've been, um, kind of time attack and competition director for good life. And I field a number of legality and and compliance questions from drivers and the more often than not, I'll get a uh, an email solicitation that says, "Hey, I want to do this mod. Is it legal? Yes or no. Um, and one of the things that I found is is there are occasions where that can kind of put uh, paint you into a corner right. And uh, it especially happened last year where both Adam and i were were kind of stuck where neither outcome you know allowing or disallowing was was favorable in some way and and people were going to be dissatisfied and For 2020, what I've started to do is to pretend that I'm a Supreme Court judge and someone has to – I I make them email me directly and uh, cite the rules as they're written, explain to me what the mod is and why they think it should be allowed per the rules and make them make the argument. And if they make a compelling argument, it's allowed. And if they don't make it – it doesn't mean that it might not be allowed in the future. It just means that they didn't make a convincing argument. Right. And I've fielded like three or four of those style questions already, and it's it's made me a lot more comfortable with with how things uh, go forward.
2: Yeah, you you never know what someone's thinking either, right? So you could be agreeing to something and you don't even realize what their real intentions are. But if you have them explain it, it's a lot better. And I'll and I'll say that I do not. I do not envy that position. I do not want to be the person who's deciding what they're doing and what, you know, what rules are followed and not filed. It's always bad news.
0: Well, and, and the intent is to keep the rulebook as, as simple as possible, right? right? We, we hate adding bullets to what you can and can't do because ultimately after 15 years, what you're left with is a rulebook that's so tight that there's almost nothing you can do. Right. So that's, that's not really where we want to go. At the same time... Uh, we want to make sure that the parity within classes is like
2: decent yeah it turns into a spec series too quickly and, and then people hate it right it's the exact thing that, thing they complain about but they also want to bend them so far that you know they end up in that position so it's it's such a hard you know it's a give and take for people is that you keep bending you keep bending you keep bending well we're going to have to keep making rules and if we have to keep making rules it's going to turn into the series you don't like and so the same thing happens in time attack and it's a hard it's a hard position to be in
0: So Andrew, when you were, when you were pro racing, um, I guess it's been my experience that sometimes wheel to wheel racers and time attack drivers approach rule books a little bit differently. Um, maybe that's not always true, but were you guys looking for key advantages in the rule book always?
1: Uh, yeah, absolutely. I I mean, I just grew up in that kind of culture and I'm not, um, you know, I'm not a super mechanically inclined person. I think we, we talked about this in our deleted podcast episode, but I've. (laughs) I've been around Imagine it my whole these. life and I've, I've always found that I'm, uh, I'm, I'm much better at, uh, I, I'm, uh, I'm persuasive and I'm good at telling a story and I'm very good at, uh, at, um, marketing and sales and that trans- translates into everything that I do well. So, um, I always was around people when I was, when I was racing professionally that wanted to, uh they had the same mindset that I did, which was, um, to be the best that we could be always, you know, constant improvement, like Mike was saying. So absolutely. I've got, I've got a couple of good stories. We, you know, we didn't do anything too gray area. We definitely used the resources that we had to, to maximize what was available. We didn't have very many resources, but we were, we were pretty scrappy.
0: So, um, Obviously, you weren't part of this program, Mike. But uh, before the show, we had talked a little bit about Level Five and the D Sports Racer. And one of the things that I saw that blew my mind was um, when when Colin Braun was was driving and testing at Road America, he went through the kink in the DSR at like 163 miles an hour. Yeah. The car was basically like I mean, full throttle through this really really nasty corner. What what kind of work do you think was done to make a car be able to do that?
2: I mean, that's so like in, in their case, right? It's a very holistic approach. I mean, people don't realize, you know, people, most cars that are built and you'll find this with, Um, You'll find this with a lot of time attackers, especially because it's a progression of things, unless they do a full-on new build again and again and again. But you'll find that cars are built with a lot of compromises, and then there's a compromise on top of a compromise on top of a compromise. But if you can take a design from the beginning and have it relatively hashed out exactly what you want you know doing obviously not compromising on the suspension figuring out exactly what the what the best geometries are the the best setups for you know the the shock absorbers and those types of things and then you lay on top of that you know a good power band with a proper gear ratios and and a proper body and all those fun things and when you really lay all those things out the the amount of speed that you can pull out of something is just ridiculous it's hard to it's hard to imagine and obviously things like F1 show that every time they when they get a new rule book and they start over with a new car like a new new car a true new car it's amazing the things they're capable of doing when the previous cars were so fast but somehow this new thing is completely different and it doesn't seem different but it is completely different and they're able to do so much sure. with it
0: well i mean uh, for anyone not familiar with the D Sports racer class with SCCA cars are I think they're about 1,000 pounds. And at that period of time, um, they were in like the, the 250 to 350 horsepower range. Yeah. And for a car to do a 153 at Road America, and, and you compare James Houghton's time in the Integra of a 208, 15 seconds faster than James's car, to me, is really hard to comprehend. Yeah. That's crazy. It's, it, yeah. in, in a car that only makes 350 horsepower.
2: Yeah, it, I mean, obviously there's a little bit of a weight advantage there, but they—I mean, it's there's a lot of momentum advantage. That's the big thing, like just just keeping that momentum up and being able to continue to push and push and push. And it's a different—you know what I mean? It's a different thing. James's car got there and you know got to his quote-unquote time in a different way, right? So. Sure.
0: Well, I mean, how do you how do you take that holistic approach in Time Attack to take this chassis that? you know was manufacturer built and how do you get to that point
2: yeah i think you get you get some of that um you get some of that in some of the high high level cars that you see in australia more than anything where there's really not a compromise and and they allow you to change so much on the chassis comparative to um even what was allowed a couple of years ago in the united states now there's some parity between the rules in the united states and and australia obviously but but they allowed you to do so much you know you look at the um rp968 and you look at what that car looks like when the body's off of it and i mean it's a it's fundamentally a tube chassis car at that point you know they've they've moved every pickup point they've changed everything that they could change on that car to get it optimized as possible and there wasn't a lot of i mean there's still time left on the table but there's not a lot of things that they were willing to compromise on so they started with you know the, the the bread and butter of going fast, which is you know good suspension geometry, a good engine, good power band, and then they put a body on top of it, and then they put, you know, a very good aerodynamics on the team to to develop that body and and really get the most out of the car. So you don't see that as often. And I mean, if you look at you look at something like our Evo, which is still really fast in the United States, it is very much still very close. I mean, it, you could build this with a stock chassis car, like it still uses the stock pickup points and, and it's still got most of the chassis left in, the, in that sort of thing. So when you're can go that far, when you when you really have the money and the time and the expertise to really go that far, there's a lot of things that you can do. And, and we'd love to do something like that. But it's just, we don't have the the money alone to do it, let alone um, the time investment that it takes to do that is, is enormous. So if we can find a honey pot maybe we'll go around that down that route but man is it a it's impressive what you can do when you go bespoke
1: <laughs> Mike I did uh, I did formula SAE in college so I I started with the you know we started with the clean slate design and right. it changes everything you know it changes the whole approach because ever since then I've been in you know the world challenge car race was a Honda Accord sure yeah it's like <laughs> you know so that that's a totally different approach with, with right. the flexibility that you have it's it's like um, you know most engineers and guys that are learning how to how to be race engineers now there it almost would be easier if you were able to start from scratch because you have so much more control over sure over what you're doing whereas with you're trying to to work with an already uh, built car you know when OEMs build cars they build them with design specifications and a lot of times what you're doing with time attack and why what you do is so impressive you know with the speeds that that you guys get with the Evo and with James's car and the other cars that you've worked on. Is because it's they're way outside of the factory design intent, like right. by a factor of ten. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
2: and you know? and and you're right. I mean, there's there's cases where I've actually told people that I I honestly like some of the limitations because if there's no limitations in the world, right? I could build a. I always say that I could build a really fast car if I didn't have limitations. I could build something faster than Evo. Honestly, it wouldn't be overly difficult, which is sad, but fine it would cost money and time and all that fun stuff but in terms of the designing isn't the difficult prospect there and and so there's, there's two th- ways to think about it there's a handicap when you're starting with someone else's design and you've got this box that you have to design in but I really do like that because I think that like fosters a really um, different approach that means that you have to really think of all the finite details involved to get that speed where we could get similar speeds out of something else with a bespoke design and I think that you could get there a lot easier so it's a it's a trade-off right it's a trade-off you can you can take that bespoke design and and you can go really fast and it looks really cool and and that's the thing so when people take a car that is off the shelf that is like our cars those types of things and um you're left with those limitations of that chassis i really find it impressive when you go really fast that's why some of these spec series are so impressive to me is because the speeds that people are capable of going within that defined rule set whereas if you're allowed to do whatever you want anytime you want that kind of opens up things. You, you, you have to have a more open mind for it. You have a clean sheet. You got to be able to make sure, you know, you're, you're making the right decisions along the way because you can definitely make some massive decisions that will just ruin the car. But it also, if you know what you're doing, makes it easier to get to those speed levels relatively quickly. So there's that trade-off there where if you have an idea what you're doing, bespoke is awesome because you can get there really fast for the same level of you know for the for an easier level of engineering if you will like an easier level to get there um, where if you've got a chassis that you have to stick to these you know this box then it's a lot harder so I get both sides of it all the time
1: yeah I think that's a really good point because there's and, and I'm certainly in this boat of like you know BOP is is such a predominant topic in all forms of of racing pretty much other than time attack and and some of the you know grassroots series, but in pro racing, it's like the, you know, the 800 pound elephant in the room sure. or 800 pound gorilla, however that that phrase works. But um, but you make a, you make a good point that like even if it wasn't there, um, that's going to present a whole different set of problems that are that are going to be equally hard to solve. So right. it's just it's just kind of looking at it two different ways.
2: Yeah, and it's interesting to me what people come up with when they have a clean sheet design. If you can do anything, I always see people build their cars, you know, you'll have these people who are like, what are you building it for? And they're like, I'm building it for fun. And that's super cool. Like, awesome, do it. Um, And then the decisions they make, it's always interesting to see what those decisions they make because you can tell kind of what their mindset is, right? You can can tell if they were like, they believe that light weight is more important than anything you can tell that they like aerodynamics more than important than anything you can tell they think that engine because everyone's always going there's 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 something that you find more important than the rest of the system people are generally that way there's not many people who are holistic in their approach they always think that something is more important and they're willing to make a compromise for (laughs) it um so you'll see that a lot, where somebody's like, "Oh, well, it's a little heavier, but it makes a thousand horsepower." It's like, "Oh, okay," yeah. you know. And so it's really interesting to watch these bespoke builds because what they what they deem is important is is apparent, and then you can see some of the deficiencies that they've accepted those compromises along the way because they've they want the power or they want the aerodynamics or you know they want the weight, right? They're willing to make everything out of titanium and carbon fiber, and it cost a million dollars, but it only makes 200 horsepower because it uses a stock Miata engine. You get, you kind of get my point. Yeah. Like it's, it's always interesting to see their approach when it comes to those right. types of things.
1: We certainly had those, you know, big kind of holistic debates um when I was, you know, Formula S A Is the best thing I have to compare it to because there's, there's no rules essentially. Right. It's, yep. it's safety and it's four wheels that can't be in a line and that's about it. You know, and, uh, roll hoop mandated size and it, you can definitely tell like. You know, I wasn't a designer, but I was the team captain, so I was kind of managing all the different sure. moving pieces and staying on top of where everybody was going with their designs. And, you know, when somebody stayed in the office all night and redesigned an entire system of the car, it was pretty easy to tell what their priorities were. And, right. and a lot of times you had, like, it seems like almost every every uh, race team that has some design role, you know, a lot of them don't these days, but, like, you know, any any kind of race team that does have a design type of role, there's always a Colin Chapman guy. You know, there's yep. always, like, a... Ad, Lightweight. There's always a smoky unit guy. Yeah, <laughs> That's right. That's Watch right. Power is all that matters. Right. It's like you can see people fit into those buckets and you can figure out like what their priorities are. I think that's always uh, that's always fun. And, and then there's always the 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 guy that thinks he can drive it like Cena. You know, it's just right. The, yeah. The, oh, yeah. There's kind of people fit into those buckets.
0: Well, I think that kind of leads me to uh, a good question, which is um, unlimited time attack in the last Four years has kind of gotten crazy, but it seems like, at least in the United States, horsepower numbers have kind of leveled out, I guess, uh, because it's seemingly really hard to make a reliable four cylinder engine transmission combination that can make more than 900 horsepower routinely. Um, and I wonder if, in order for the times to keep going down in the unlimited group, if instead of, you know, increasing your max speed, you're starting to focus on where your minimum speeds are and and just reducing your sector times as much as possible. As as a competitor, how do you how do you approach that?
2: I mean, to put it into perspective, most of our records are on 550 to 600 horsepower. Like we've had very poor luck running at high horsepower. Um which sucks to admit to all the time, but Obviously that happened, <laughs> and um, so if you it, it, one of the, the times that we made the most power actually is really interesting is when Jeff drove Jeff Westfall, awesome dude. You ever meet him? Hug him because he's amazing. And um, he drove the car at Buttonwillow in fifteen, I believe sixteen. I can't remember what it was, but he ran a forty-two, and that was in limited class. And obviously that's a that's a good record. But that car at that time probably made the most power that we ever made that we actually competed with, that we successfully competed with. And there was right around 700 at that time. And the rest of our records are really not at that much power um, because we really haven't had a lot of success, unfortunately. We've had some teething issues um we've had some flukes definitely um along the way that that definitely aren't helpful in terms of um development but i think we're in a much better spot than we are now or we, we used to be so we think we're good now and we can turn up our power but but that's our bread and butter 100 percent we have never we were never the team to run by somebody based on power we've never had that capability even when we used to do street streetcar. um you know the the What would be street mod right now? What you know, the street class back in the day for um, global time attack and redline time attack. I'm talking like 08, 09 territory. Um, Yeah, yeah, it's been a while. Um, But our car back then made 330 horsepower. Then the most it ever made was about 400 wheel, and. We were successful not because we ran anybody down. We were successful because we we turned harder. That's it. We turned our everything. We would focus on the suspension, and that was our thing, right? Our, our thing was suspension at that point. And so we'd focus on the suspension and get as many as many G loads out of it as possible, as much turning as possible, get into the corner, get out of the corner. That's all we tried to do. So people would just destroy us on the straights, like Cam, um, the, the, the uh, Cobb car, um, back in the day, the Subaru that we used to run with, he would just destroy us on straightaways, and it, it was frustrating. We had other cars that were that were equally um, just destroy us on straightaways. Uh, the Fortune Auto car, their um, white Evo, would just destroy us on straightaways. Made 550 horsepower at the time, and and we really focused on arrow at that point, or we not arrow, sorry, we based on suspension and just a little bit of arrow. We had no idea what we were doing with arrow at the time, and we were starting to, you know, roll into it, but really it is all about sector time. It is all about minimum speed and it is all about getting in and out. And if you look at our data on top of James, we'll get out of a corner faster than James and we might hit similar speeds at the end of the straight um, on 200 less horsepower because we're getting out so much faster. And then our car has a lower drag coefficient. Seemingly, I'm not positive about that, but seemingly because we've, we he goes a little bit faster than us on the straightaways. Now, longer straightaways, he's gone. We don't have the power to keep up. But on on shorter ones, gingerman stuff like that, we're right there. We're right there with them. So um, that's what we focus on, and I think that's what more people are going to focus on. Um, power is difficult to make, like you said, and it is difficult to keep alive. And it's that once again holistic approach to things. We've always been medium in every area, and tried to make it you know good downforce, not a lot of drag, really good grip. You know, being reasonable with weight, not too much power to blow things up, but we still blow things up anyway. So it well, all feeds in. It
0: seems like even, you know, even if you have a car where the engine is really strong, you know, the the transmission might be uh, right, weak yeah. or or the reverse might be true and it's uh, unless you're buying, you know, motorsport sure. transmissions and engine builds, it's really really difficult to get an entire system that yeah, works. Yeah, I thought
2: last year was the year of the sequentials. This year is the year of the sequentials. You guys changed it's Yeah, crazy. it's ridiculous. You guys changed that rule for um, allowing you know quote unquote limited class you know the track class to have sequentials and um, let's just say it's been getting exciting and really <laughs> unfortunately that becomes the option right there is very few cars that have the best of everything it's like Chevy and Ford and and Honda and all those guys like if it's a, they need to get together and make. Put the best p- components from each of those cars into something and when you're limited in time attack between what transmission you can use what engine you can use and you can't do certain swaps and things like that well you have to again right it's that box you have to draw inside right so it's that that requirement that you have to think or you have to make the part stronger or those limitations are what makes you better at this makes you better at being a race car builder, being a race car driver is that understanding the limitations that are in front of you and then capitalizing on the strengths, minimizing those limitations, capitalizing on the strengths. And that's all it's about. So there really isn't a great, perfect package. Corvette's about as close as you're going to get. And so obviously we see well, more of those now.
0: I, I've been saying for a couple of years that I think there's a Corvette that can win every class. Yeah. But I don't know of any Corvettes that campaign at the unlimited class level. Uh, that are that are in the hunt like what would it take in in your mind as an outsider what would it take to turn a corvette maybe a c5 or c6 and make it comparable to your evo
2: i mean the the c6 is i mean the c6 alone has so many advantages and and I've, i've had this conversation tons of times with tons of people about what we can do there. But it, it wouldn't even take a lot. I mean, reasonably, you can make really good horsepower on a Corvette. You can make 6, 700 um, really easily. You can make 7, 800 all day long um, with, you know, shorter intervals on the engine. But, you know, a C6R is an extremely fast car, and it fits into almost all time attack regulations. And that's the thing, is that something along those lines, um, which isn't even aero-packed, right, You could you could definitely do a lot more an arrow on that car you could you could minimize the weight even further obviously you're opening up the restrictor in terms of power it's it's a it would be a dominant vehicle to run somebody just needs to put that package together so it's there's already a blueprint for you they the corvette racing has been racing forever and they've done a fantastic job they have very smart people working on those cars and they have done a very good job and they've laid that blueprint out for you and you just Take away some of the things that are required for road racing, like really, really, really big brakes that aren't necessarily needed, right? Uh, really big fuel cell that isn't necessarily needed. And you reduce the weight, you pull the restrictor, you put a little bit better aero on it and make more downforce, and you've got yourself a monster.
0: Nice. So we, we've spent a little bit of time talking about building race cars, but we have a data expert on the phone also Let's try and turn the conversation to to talk about how you guys use data to go faster.
1: Expert's a strong word, but I'll take it.
0: You you run the company, yeah. That's
1: yeah. co-founder might be a better word. You know, I don't think anybody knows what they're doing when they start their business. So I've uh, I've certainly learned a lot over the past uh, past handful of years. But yeah, my I'd like to say uh, Abe that my my like uh, area of specialty or what I really enjoy is tuning the driver. Um, and uh, and I think Mike's got the uh, the tuning the car component. As much as I do love digging into like setup, and um, Mike and I talked the other day for quite a while. And I've I've got a endurance race car that I run now that's recently had arrow installed. So we've got a whole world of stuff to dive into and learn. So I'm really excited about that. But yeah, I love I love t- I love learning about the driver with data and figuring out how to how to help them optimize what they have. Uh, but there's definitely a blend, like like Mike said. You got to have a holistic package, which when you enter the driver into the equation, really is the biggest variable. So you have to you have to have a different perspective when you have a human driving the car.
0: Um, so, uh, Mike, maybe maybe tell me tell me about your guys' process. I mean, you've you have leveraged pro drivers and also uh, Dan as part of your team for driving for the last what five six yeah. years, and. Uh, let, let's use Tom as an example. So you're, you're at Buttonwillow. Tom goes out and does some laps. He comes back in. Where do you start? What do you do?
2: Yeah, so a lot of the times with Tom, especially like... Okay, so I'll start. I'll preface this whole conversation with time attack cars suck for data. Um, <laughs> The reason they suck is because they run four laps and then they explode in your face and then you have to rebuild them entirely and then you come back <laughs> two years later and then you run three laps and then they blow up in your face. So, <laughs> so that's why time attack cars <laughs> suck at data. Now, Tom is an alien, as we all know, and he, he is a fantastic driver and, and he's got this, this inane ability to just get in a car. Like, he literally got in our car at Buttonwillow two years ago without ever being in it. He's, I guess he sat in it once before that.
0: I'd like to think I had some part in No, you in did. That. I mean, so obviously we were pushing and, it. And, and,
2: and he was always the good choice. We just needed – there needed to be that, that, that time when it really worked out, and we found that time. And, and Tom's amazing. He's an amazing person. He's an amazing driver. So it's, it's great to have him part of, the, part of the team. But he got in that car, and the first time we sent him out at Buttonwillow, he ran a 40 a 140. Now, if you put that in perspective in terms of the times, the fastest times that anyone's gone at Buttonwillow and any time attack cars, that's on the top 10 list. And it's crazy to think that he got in it and that was his warm-up lap.
0: Well, and I think at that time, that may have been the most powerful, most aero car that he'd it ever was. driven in it ever.
2: It was. I mean, that's what he said. He said, this is the this is the most sane, insane thing I ever drove. And it, it it's so interesting that he got in it, and, and, and this, is, this is where it comes back to, to what, what Andrew's just talking about is in terms of the driver, right? That, that person is so important, right? And they can make or break the car, and their driving style, and their hands and feel, and all these things can make a big difference in how the car reacts. But uh, the really good drivers feel the machine, understand what it's going to do at any given moment, pick up that limit of capabilities relatively quickly, and then, and then go out and do it right they just they take a couple turns and they're like oh well if it can go this fast in this turn then if i'm going a little bit faster obviously arrow makes it a little different but they they know where this grip is going to come in and they can put themselves closer and closer to that limit relatively quickly so Going out and having somebody who's capable of pushing the car relatively quickly is is absolutely invaluable. And I, we actually had this conver- this exact conversation about about um, a setup driver being the most important person in the world. Like, you find a good mechanically ept setup driver, you pay him whatever he wants because that guy is going to help you get the most out of your vehicle because he can he can feel it he can drive it and he's going to make setup changes live and it can they can take years off of development if you get somebody who's good at it so when when someone like Tom drives a car and he's able to pick up speed relatively quickly, we can go back and, 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 and Tom's a fantastic driver. He may not be the best at setup just yet, but he's learning every day and he's amazing at it that he can get so much out of it. So at least you can go back and look at the data and start to understand. And what we're looking for is, especially with the aero um, and, and how that changes grip capability for speed, there's got to be some kind of understanding that it's not just a, a, a linear thing, right? It's not just a, a normal traction circle anymore. You're going to see some changes there that are going to look a little bit funny based on, air, especially an aero-heavy car. Now, if you're talking just a wing diffuser, or a wing and a, a splitter, you, you probably won't see that much difference, but if you're talking about really aero-heavy cars, that things start to change pretty drastically um, once you get that level of downforce, then it's a little bit harder to read that, but really what we're looking for is min speeds immediately, and we compare it to as much of the old data as possible. If you have something that just clean sheet, and you don't have a lot of the data available to you, you can do some simulations, and, and I've just started to do more of those simulations. Um, but basically, what we're looking for is is minimum speeds. We're looking for the position on the track. We're looking for um, basically how quickly it's accelerating and the top speed capabilities in any given you know, portion of the track and straightaway. Are, are we breathing off, you know, is the driver breezing off the throttle? If they're breezing off and there's an angle change, well, obviously, they think there's no grip there for some reason. So there's all these, like, little details that you're looking for so that you can then go back to the driver and ask them if, you know, hopefully they remember that they, could, they felt something like that along the way. Because if there is... Is, oh well, there's a little lost grip here. Well, why? There's a little lost grip here. Why? And then you go back to the traction circle, and you can see, hopefully, that oh, we had grip out here, but we never used it, and we had grip over here, we never used it. So you can go a little bit faster in this you know corner. We can go a little bit faster here. You can stay on it in that kink, and it will, and it will, it will, it will make it. You just got to believe in it. Those types of things.
1: I think it's interesting, and, and Mike brings up a lot of good points. But when you talk about somebody like Tom driving a car for the first time, uh, I've you know having been like in that in that circle for a while and gotten to know a lot of guys that are that are you know just incredible drivers and kind of learning what their process is it's what the most interesting part of it to me is that it's it's totally learnable now you, you might not like there's some a lot of limitations to becoming as good at hopping in a new car and just um, being able to to thrash it within an, an inch of its life you know the first time you drive it like somebody like tom or or others can do, but there's definitely a process um, that you can that you can use to do that. There's an art to cultivating that and and performing, but the process is pretty straightforward, um, and that's what we look at a lot with with data as well. But you know, Mike, I didn't even think about that being such a challenge for the time attack world because I, I deal with mostly road racing stuff, right? And um and uh, that that definitely is like you know if you don't have if, you're, if your motor blows up on lap one because you had a tuning issue or, you know, you're trying to put too much power down because you're in time attack um, and you're trying to set a record and you don't have any data coming back the next year, that that can definitely be a limitation yep. um, for your for your learning curve. Um, but what's really also, you know, what I was thinking the whole time when you were talking about, like, the horsepower conversation and Abe was saying we've seen it kind of flatline, you know, for lack of a better term. Uh, pardon the pun, but um, f- flatten the curve, f- so flatten to the curve. Um, I was just thinking that, you know, from a drivability perspective, that's got to be such a huge part. You know, I do a lot of endurance racing and obviously driver comfort and being able to get as much out of the car for the entire stint is, is like the biggest consideration sure. for, you know, designing the driver compartment and the setup of the car and that sort of thing. But in time attack, it's a it's such an intense, like, small amount of time that it's, it's a slightly different kind of design challenge for driver comfort, so to speak. But also the, the horsepower perspective could go either way because not having as much horsepower makes it way more approachable. But also if you have a lot of horsepower, it's easier to set a fast time with right. not as many laps. Exactly. It's like a, that's a well, tough decision to make.
0: I, I think it can kind of go either way. I, I, I put myself in, in James Houghton's shoes at Road America as an example. It's a track he's never been to. It's very fast. It's got a couple of really gnarly corners. And you're in a car that maybe will turn five or six laps all weekend. Maybe. And so as a driver, I mean, in a given season, maybe you drive the, the car 40 laps. Maybe. Uh, how, do you, how do you jump into a track you've never seen before and get to the limit that quickly? I think it's, it's, a, it's a skill that I certainly don't have.
2: Yeah, and, 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 and what I what I like to have people keep in mind is that fantastic time, there's more time there. So it's not necessarily about getting everything out of the car. It's about having enough available that you can still do it without getting it all out. Because if you ask any of us at the top level, we none. I, I don't know anybody yet who has told me that was the best lap we could have possibly had. Period. <laughs> there is only one there's only I, I'd say there's only two times I ever think we got everything out of it. Every ounce out of it. And that was when we went to Auto Club in two thousand eleven for the street class for Redline or GTA, I can't remember them No, that was Redline.
0: Yeah, you guys have been at this a yeah, long while.
2: The um Dan ran that track and we had quite a few laps at it. You know, we went out to California because we got to make sure those guys know they're slow. Um, <laughs> yeah, always got to start the fight, right? Um, they, I love them. I love all the guys out there. But um, they, at that auto club event, we obviously, we'd never been there. We simulated it way back when because that was what we could do. And we, you know, we're, we're still low budget and all that fun stuff. You know, low budget is a relative term in the whole scheme of things, throw too much money at stuff. But, um, we ran a 147 or 146, can't remember, When high 146, slow 147, something like that, whatever. It was the record. We won that event, and I can tell you that looking at the data after that event and the feeling from that event, I can't imagine we could have got more time out of it. Literally, it was 255 RS3s. On the banking, it pulled 1.81Gs. Um, on 255 RS3s with very limited aero. Um there was so much load that the like we we had tried to lock the suspension in place and it kept on trying to move because the car was sliding up the you know sliding up the uh, um the banking like that probably was one of the only times we ever got there then Jeff's lap like i said before the 142 i'd say the car didn't have too much more in it maybe a little bit of time but man did he beat the sh- out of that thing and make it go right <laughs> he did a great job and other than that, we've left seconds on the table everywhere we've went. And and Will will tell you the same thing. James will tell you the same thing. Everybody will tell you that there's time out there because it's not that we're getting everything out of the car. It's that there's enough in the car that we're getting enough out of it that it's still impressive. And that gotcha. sucks in one regard, but it's cool that the cars are that fast, right? Um And I wish, I mean, hopefully we can put together a package that's relatively reliable and we can get more of that time out of it, let Tom, you know, get more time out of it, stuff like that, and really start nailing down some time and actually feeling like we're getting a 95% out of the car, something like that. But man, that's really where it comes from is that the cars are so fast that James gets in it, runs a comfortable lap, then he knows he can run faster, and he starts running an uncomfortable lap. But he never runs that lap where it's like... I am riding the bucking Bronco, and this is my only option to run this lap. That generally isn't happening. It's, it's dangerous still. I'm not saying that. There's plenty of times for misfortune. But it's not like the absolute edge, 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 every ounce out of it, every braking zone perfect, everything like that. It generally doesn't happen because that's just so difficult to do in time attack without testing.
1: And, and that's the strategy of it, too, I'd imagine. You don't, you don't want to go, you know, if you have the ability to approach the limit of the car, you don't want to go throw down a 10-10 lap right off the bat because you got to see what everyone else is laying down. I mean, And if you don't have to drive the car at that limit and risk something, then you shouldn't, I guess. Yeah,
2: there's, there's some of us who play that game for sure. Um, I'm like, I, I do that so that I don't, we don't blow up a motor if we don't need to because there's definitely like, you know, boost levels and then there's kill. And there's like let it do what it wants. <laughs> and kill doesn't mean kill somebody else. It means kill your kill everything you've done in your life, right? You're just going to spend a lot of money. Um, so that's the problem. So we we try not to stay out. Of, we try to stay out of that range. And like I said, most of our success has been at the lower levels because generally when you get up to that kill level, which on our car would be 750, 800, it doesn't go right. Unfortunately, there's so many things that unfortunately do not work out most of the time for us, at least, that because of that, we uh, don't run it there. So you're right. There is some of that, mm, you know, seeing what happens. But if we had the capability, if I had the capability to run a reliable car at 100 horsepower all the time, I would, period. I'd run the hottest lap I could. I'd love to go out there, run a 20 at Gingerman and put it in the trailer and be like, good luck. That'd be that'd be my day. I'd be like, okay, now I can help all these people go faster. Right. Like I could turn around and and maybe relax for a moment. But it always seems to happen where we run out, go do like a, a lap on 550 horsepower. The track isn't perfect. You know, now it's got junk on it. You know, everything's not great. Nothing's ever perfect. Weather's not perfect. Everything's not perfect. So you always have those hardships. And then right before the end, you got one session left and you're like, put it on kill and let's see what happens. (laughs) <laughs> and then there you go. Send it, it. Yep, and that's why one of our fenders was, you know, burned up because that's what happens. So, if I could, I would hundred percent would do it on the first lap. One hundred percent. But now,
0: it, now I I don't want to like throw salt into old wounds. I am curious though, how many times that car has been on fire? Um,
2: three. <laughs> so <laughs> that's not too bad. So, but it's just honestly, I to clarify like it's some shit why it's been on fire too. (laughs) One of them was like an oil filter failure. Like the O-ring exploded out of it. And I remember that. It's like, like, why does that happen? Like you stupid (laughs) piece of, mm. and it was an OEM filter. Like it was like a good filter, like good quality filter. And so that's why it did it once. And then, um, another time Dan's fault because he didn't put the filter on tight enough. Dan's got, Dan didn't, you know, tell us to do it. We should have just done it. We should have checked it, but whatever. Dan's fault. Third one um, was because we blew a hole in the block because we had lost an engine due to some, I don't know, one of the rods failed. We don't know why, but they didn't catch on fire that time. We put in a block, a short block, overnight. Um, We did a double swap, actually. Um, We put in a, a block overnight, and it wasn't really made for what we were about to do to it. It was a street... It would be what I would call a street motor. It was built with some mid-level rods. It was built with a stock crank. It was a two-three, so it was a little. We don't like to do two-threes because they really don't like to run very well, um, especially the higher horsepowers. And um, so it probably was good for 500, 550 wheel. Um, but you know, we only had one session left, and well, we had we had two sessions. We ran one, and it ran, drove around and ran like a 47 or 40 or something, I can't remember what that day 45, something like that and so we're like, okay, and well, we only had real, one real option after that, and we set it on kill and around the last straight, I had Button Willow because Buttonwillow is where you blow up your car um, yeah, threw a rod right out the front of it, shot it, the exhaust goes at the front of the, the engine side, so it shot it right at the exhaust, caught it on fire and Jeff, the professional that he is he just pulled it off to the side told the guy where the fire was and that's it so,
0: I remember that, and, and, too. It, it's
2: just like, like and, and these aren't fires because we didn't, we didn't put on hoses right. We didn't wrap things correctly. We didn't do any of that. These are fires because something failed that should not have failed, and that's what's so frustrating about it. Luckily, the car is just fine. Everything's just fine. It sucks. I'm sorry for all the people's session who we ruined in those cases, but it failed because of some stupidity. And not necessarily because <laughs> of poor quality. And that's what was really frustrating. Because we've seen some cars this that. That's the worst failure. Yeah, we've seen some cars that are crazy, like dripping oil, and then they never catch on fire. Like I've literally seen cars where they were dripping like oil fire, like little oil droplets on fire. And the car never catches on fire. And I'm like, what's going on with us?
1: <laughs> That's not fair. I, I started out racing a, an Alfa Romeo. Actually, funny enough, in vintage racing, and uh, every single event that you went to, I raced in SCCA too. And there was all, there was always like a Triumph or an MG that was at every event, finished every race, ran every session, and smoked like blue smoke out the tailpipe yeah. the whole time. Yeah. You know, and you're like, when's this guy's motor going to blow up? He's like, oh, yeah, haven't put a motor in it in years. Yeah,
2: he's like, whatever, just let it go. We just put yeah. six sure. quarts of oil in a race. Like, what the f- – Yeah,
1: and- so, Mike, your your story um, about, uh, you know, the perfect lap or, like, you know, you never really optimizing everything, you know, right. it's kind of like the, race, the racer's condition, I guess, and, like, part of the reason why we all kind of love it. I have, I have an interesting story about that that was, like, epitomized that um, – that whole like idea, but, uh, I I work for the Porsche track experience at Barber, uh, motorsports park. So the, the Porsche used to be called the Porsche sport driving school, but it's the, not the experience center type deal, which is in LA and Atlanta, which is what a lot of people associate it with. But this is like, you want to drive on the racetrack type of school. Um, so Hurley Haywood works there as well as like a kind of, um, He's he's called the chief or or lead instructor, but he's really more of kind of like instructor emeritus. Yeah, like he he can be there and just tell somebody they suck to their face, and they're like, "Yes, sir, thank you, sir." (laughs) You know, kiss his shoes. um, It's it's pretty funny. So Hurley's uh, he's got a really like interesting sense of humor, and once you get to know him, he's really dry, and he just like says stuff that, you know, he kind of pushes the limits a little bit, and I really appreciate that. It's just it's awesome. So he was behind me, and we were at the barber museum, the motorcycle museum in this huge car elevator. And I was talking to one of the, you know, one of the students that was at this program, this was at like a, after a dinner, you know, deal that you do there. And, um, I told him the reason why I was so into racing, I couldn't let it go. is cause I'd, I'd never done a perfect, I never done a lap that I was happy with, you know, that I was completely content with where I didn't feel like I could go get more out of the car. And, you know, I kind of summarized it with, I just haven't done the perfect lap. And I heard Hurley behind me pipe up and he goes, I have, And it was like (laughs) that interjection of like, he knows who he is. He's like, I'm Hurley freaking Haywood. And he just like interjects and he's like, yeah, I've done the perfect lap. And then he like lets it sit. And and we both kind of like look at him and I'm like, I'm like, well, he just debunked my whole thing, you know, my whole like reason. And and then he goes, no, I'm just kidding. I haven't either. Yeah. You know, like it was like, there it is. It's
2: such a hard thing. Like I've seen people, you know, like uh, a good example is spec me out of guys. I think they're they might be some of the only people who have ever gotten close to a perfect lap. Um, those series where they run a similar car over and over and over again, and obviously there's development, but, man, it's it's hard. It is hard to, to get that perfect lap. And and when you get close to it, like I literally, when I told the story about the 2011 at Auto Club, you get that feeling. I get goosebumps when I talk about that because that's like, I feel like we got almost everything out of it, and it's such a good feeling because it just doesn't happen. And so I, I I enjoy that. It's all and that's what like obviously the you know the Time Attack book and World Time Attack and One Perfect Lap and all that stuff if you don't have that book get that book and all that fun stuff. It's it, that's what it's for for at least the Time Attack guys. And and it could be for the road race guys, it could be for the data guys, right, like you guys and stuff like that, where you're just trying to make the lap better and look at the data and obviously with the with the products that you guys offer, that it it's, it's possible, right? You can look at the data and really like lay it down like, yeah, this is about as good as yeah. it's going to get, right? Everybody wants that theoretical and you're like, right. that's right there in front of you, like you can chase a number, but when you actually feel like it happened, it is such a good feeling. It, it it and it's and it's really what drives at least me in terms of trying to get more out of something is that 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 level right that lap gets gets lower and lower and and it gets harder and harder to get there so you always um you know chasing the dragon unfortunately in that regard so it's, yeah, it's a cool absolutely. thing absolutely
1: the, the theoretical is a, so, a good thing to point to on that because that's that's a very indicative of that, and it gets the theoretical gets harder to to you start getting closer to it and then it's harder to lower your theoretical. So you know, on sort of that,
0: point. Andrew, I think we should take a quick pause to hear from uh, our partners, and uh, when we come back, we'll have Adam on the show.
1: Oh oh perfect. Woo
0: Slip angle is supported by FCP euro at fcp euro dot com. Purchases over $49 are offered free shipping with a lifetime replacement guarantee and hassle-free returns. FCP Euro really does offer lifetime replacement guarantees on everything they sell. Brakes, suspension parts, filters, gaskets, seals, injectors, even engine oil. That means that any of you drivers with junky race cars, if you buy FCP Euro parts and you crash on the racetrack and you break your control arms, you can mail them right back. So make sure you head on over to fcpuro.com and support companies that support the Slip Angle Podcast. This show is brought to you by Apex Pro. Andrew will be hosting a deep dive webinar on March 25th at 8 p.m. Eastern time. He'll be discussing creating custom tracks, crew view, data review, and taking some time for Q&A and feature requests. Cost is $49, and I'll put a link to purchase in the description for this episode. Hope to see you there. Hi, Adam.
3: Hi, guys. How are you guys?
2: We got a four-way going
0: I'm,
3: here. This is our first. Ooh. Is this our first four-way? I'm not Dirty. actually sure.
2: Oh my gosh! <laughs> I, I oh, am, there's. Pe- I'm so happy to be a part of it. Dicks everywhere. Oh my gosh! <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, Adam, you get on for ten seconds
3: and it's already too far. <laughs> oh man, come on! That's a funny joke. <laughs> I, oh, I thought it was, was uncomfortable. <laughs> uh, d- well, I'm just calling you guys uh, dicks. I'm not talking about your uh, your attachments oh, hanging off the front of you. Sorry.
2: Yeah, that that was unclear. <laughs> Direction's unclear. Dick's oh, stuck in life.
3: Man, get your mind out of the gutter, Mike <laughs> Lewin. I've been listening in on this uh, podcast. You've been talking about race cars, not oh sexual. My oh, my
0: gosh. That, uh, Mike, I think that was probably the gem of the show. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Well, that's good. We have all this really good info happening, and that's going to be the part that people remember. The best part. It, it sounded like you guys
3: were – I've been listening for about five minutes, and it sounded like you guys were telling some cool racer stories, and I just found out that Andrew Raines knows Hurley Haywood, so that's cool. There
1: you go. <laughs> yeah. You, you yeah I want to know Hurley. That out. sounds awesome. Hurley's cool. He's uh, – He's uh, yeah, he's funny, man. He's a really He's a really good dude. I um. I just love the fact that, like, literally, I'm not kidding, people get off the track – First of all, he sits at his corner station and just like falls asleep, you know, because he doesn't, he doesn't, he's hurly. He's like, he's done enough <laughs> in his life. He doesn't have to validate it. And so he comes back and he'll just tell somebody, you know, you're really not doing good here and walks away. <laughs> <laughs> like the rest of us, would like get general, fired for that. At the track, like
3: you're not doing good at this track or like in, in a specific corner or.
1: <laughs> yeah. In, in my corner, he's like, you're just not, you're just not doing good here. You know, and it's like okay, okay, Hurley. We appreciate. it. Yeah. Oh, can you Sorry? imagine that
3: would be? <laughs> yeah. yeah, time the, time the to stories. pick a different time to pick yeah. a different hobby, man. Yeah.
1: yeah, the stories that I've heard from him, like uh, we did a, a product training course together that we all had to do. All the like Porsche instructors and Hurley stood up and talked about. You know, like in the content that we were learning was the 1976 Porsche Le Mans win with the 936, yeah. which is the really interesting looking open cockpit. Uh, yeah. Pre nine six two, you know nine five nine cars, and uh, he he uh, basically was explaining how he felt the motor tighten up and how like he felt this sensation that the motor was about to blow up and like just like all this stuff is like literally in the training content like bullet points and Hurley stands up and he's like you mind if I talk about this and he just like tells us the story from his perspective about his first time at Lamar. and like he showed up over there didn't know who he was supposed to meet slept in his car the first night it was just oh yeah yeah I heard this story I think he talked about that
3: on uh, dinner with racers he literally like got drunk and slept in his car and stuff yeah
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's pretty it's pretty awesome like this yeah. dude's great yeah that's yeah it's so how often his is he uh at barber with you uh it just depends you know i don't i don't do many programs um with Porsche in the past year and a half or so but when i was doing you know 15 days a month he was there we we worked together probably six five or six times
3: oh wow cool
1: um, programs
3: cool. yeah so what have you guys been talking about since i uh obviously had a uh, we're having a little bit of a lockdown emergency coming coming at us uh, tomorrow in Illinois. So I was trying to get some things done at work. But what have you guys been talking about? Anything Anything you want to keep talking about? Like Mike blowing up Building his race car? Building
0: unreliable yeah. time <laughs> attack cars. But I think that yeah, pretty much race the, the next thing we probably want to talk about is predictive. Yeah. And I want to hear schools of thought. Okay. Because I've had people argue to me different directions about... You know, minimum corner speed is the most important. Sector time is the most important. I really, I would like uh, some clear guidance on how to use predictive to a, uh, a manner that makes people faster.
2: You want It's
3: a good topic.
2: Yeah, you want to jump yeah, on Andrew I, first? You want to you start hitting it? And then I'll, I'll come sure. in. Sure. I, I yeah, I'm well, curious what, what
3: Andrew's um, opinion is. I know what my opinion is, is that it, it, it ruins my <laughs> lap times because I'm... Because I'm hamfisted and I, <laughs> I, I
1: I overdrive like an idiot. Adam,
0: you're just you're just not very good. No, that's true. That's a, that's
1: what Hurley Haywood told me. <laughs>
0: there you yeah. go. You could
1: yeah. probably call him. We should make like a Hurley Haywood call-in service. You just call a number and he just tells you you're not a good driver. Oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll have I would love that hour. Like
2: excuse me. Yeah, I want I want but that yeah. for the
3: opening intro of Slip Angle. You can just tell everybody. <laughs> And tell everybody. It's like this,
1: this sweet old man voice, you know. He's like, well, <laughs> you're not good at driving. Drive faster. Um, <laughs> Drive better. You know what you're doing? Uh, stop doing that. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> Do less of it. Use the gas more. Um, so on on predictive, I think what's probably most important to start mm-hmm. with, and and I'm sure uh, Mike would agree with me on, on – um, this with most things, but it's, I think it's important to understand uh, what it is and what the value system is based off of. So like when you're in the car and and you're, you're being shown either a predicted lap time or a predicted Delta lap, you know, Delta meaning difference between where you are currently on the track and, um, and your predicted time uh, that you understand what that is actually signifying because uh, predictive is, is a, is a good real time measure, but it's also, um, depending on the system, um, computed, computed based off of like the distance traveled uh, right. or a correction for the distance traveled based on the line that you've driven um, or in Apex Pro's case, our predictive time actually calculates uh, a percentage of the lap. So 100, it basically breaks the lap down into 100% and then it says how many percent of the lap have you completed this lap versus on your best lap. Um, and so that's what it's showing you. So I would urge people before we even talk about like how to how to either react or to make a change, um, based off of it, understand, uh, what value you can actually get out of it first. Because a lot of times it's, you know, if your predictives ticking down as you're going down a straightaway, cause you got a bad run out of the previous corner, there's not much you can do, um, you know, to, to make up for it. And a lot of times that's the type of thing, like you're talking about Adam, where you're if yeah. you're frustrated because you see your predictive dropping and then you try to force something yeah, okay. over the next
3: you then, know. then you overshoot the next corner because you're like, I can break at the two. Yeah, <laughs> even though I know I should right. not.
1: Right, <laughs> physics dictates I can't. But yeah. yeah, 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 I know I can do it this time. Mm-hmm. So that that'd be where I would start. I don't want to. I don't want to. I know that's like, you know, a big kind of like whoa, overarching theme. But um, definitely check out. Uh, we have some videos on our YouTube channel and a blog post that talks a little bit about how. Our predictive is calculated at least, but I would urge you, depending on the system that you're using, understand a little bit about the value system that it's based on. Yeah, it's important.
2: And in that, and you know, extrapolating on one one point that that I think is super important is that there's there's two schools of thought, especially when it comes to cornering speeds, um, position on track, those types of things, because. You can take the long way round. You can take the short way round. You can you you can do a lot of things, especially on a track that's relatively wide. If you have a wider track, then you have more options. And what you'll find is that a lot of people like autocrossers. They're very much into the shortest way round anything, right? The autocrossers are point-and-shoot type of people, and they'll try to get from one place to the next extremely fast. And that might not have the best. Um, that might not have the best uh, approach in terms of. Uh, minimum corner speeds right they'll be going slower because they're going a shorter distance but it's a tighter radius all that fun stuff but that's something to keep in mind because so obviously like andrew said on the apex pro yeah. side of things it's something to keep in mind because you can literally go a shorter distance a pretty substantial shorter distance on a track if you're taking all of the tightest radius possible comparatively to something might that might be more appropriate and you'll have lower minimum cornering speeds and it might be a shorter distance, and it might be faster. Or you can take a different line that's going to be a little bit longer, but you have much higher a speed. Better exit, right? Yeah, and yeah. and that'll and that'll get you the run. That's the that's the thing to think about. So I always look to to answer kind of one of the questions that was asked was, you know, are we looking for minimum corner speeds? I'm like, well, I'm kind of looking for minimum corner speeds, and then if it's followed by a straightaway, I'm looking for the the top speed at the end of that straight as well. It's the combination yeah. of those two that are important, because. It tells me how you got out of that corner. It tells me how fast you got out of that corner. And it also tells me the speed at which you were going through that corner. And if we can optimize that portion of it, because those two have so much to do with each other. So it's not necessarily about one thing. It's about the things that come after. If you're sacrificing one turn for another turn, well, obviously, I'm not looking for the cornering speed in the sacrificial turn, right? Because you're trying to set yourself up for something that's more beneficial, like a faster speed uh, turn or a faster straightaway or something along those lines. So there's a lot of nuances there in terms of looking you know, ahead and looking at the data and trying to figure out what the best possible solution is because it's not necessarily always shortest distance, cornering, lower cornering speeds or longer distance, higher cornering speeds. So it's a little convoluted and i'm sorry that's not the perfect answer
1: (laughs) i I agree with you completely mike it's it's a that's a tough question to answer a because like mike said uh minimum corner speed is usually a good indicator of of uh you know carrying more speed through the corner obviously but also um even if you get the throttle a little later a lot of times one mile per hour higher at the minimum you know at the apex of the corner or the slowest part of the corner um, will yield, uh, better results at the end of the straightaway. So it, it's really, uh, you got to understand again, like, like what Mike said, if it's a compromised corner, you don't want to get everything out of the corner because your goal is to set up for the next corner. So then you're not looking at minimum corner speed. So the, the way I would approach it is looking at, um, finding your like key, keep KPIs for like a better term, and if you're like a salesman or something, yeah. and you're listening, you know what I'm talking about. Like key key performance. Oh indicators. god, I love
2: I love that yeah. I love that corporate speak. Keep going. <laughs>
1: yeah, so if you, if you establish your let's call call it quote unquote KPIs, you know maybe three places on the racetrack where minimum corner speed is king, and you establish that, which would be, you know let's let's call it turn one at Road Atlanta, someplace we probably already know minimum corner speed there is really, really important. Obviously, you don't want to sacrifice your throttle application, um, but you really want to maximize rolling speed because it's a long radius, typically long radius corners. Um, you know, Your braking zone is a little uh, – the value proposition for your braking zone is different because braking super, super late is not going to yield as much as rolling more speed through the corner. Um, so in those types of corners, minimum corner speed and maybe even a shorter distance approach if you're in a lower horsepower car or a very high-grip car – is a uh, is probably a an, a good indicator of a good lap time.
0: Um, Adam, do you remember when Tom was driving? What was it Cattell's car? Maybe at Road Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was his minimum corner speed through Turn One? Was like. Insanity. No, it
3: was uh, it was oh. Blake Meredith's CRX like two three years ago. He had a CRX which uh, which our which uh, our, one of our listeners and a buddy of mine, uh, Peter uh, Ducky Jimenez in Chicago, one of the Ramblers owns now. Um, but Tom went through Blake like Blake's minimum speed. It was an F prod CRX uh, built for Seca F prod, um, which is like uh, you know wild suspension, little uh, cantilever slicks, or maybe not cantilever, maybe non dot slicks. Um, tiny wheels, you know, stuff like that. Um, 160 horsepower, 2000 pounds or whatever. And Blake, Blake is like, he's like one majors races. He's uh, he's, he's a proficient SECA club racer and his minimum speed was like 89 miles an hour. And Tom went through it like 96 oh, Jesus. <laughs> and like <laughs> barely held on, um, thought he was going to crash it, but like did it. Uh, and yeah, minimum corner speed might also mean that you're, uh, that you're overdriving, re- uh, that you're overdriving yep. and then maybe yeah. setting yourself, like if you go, if you really, really do it too well, like you're, yeah, your predictive is going to like drop and then like maybe your next two turns, you're gathering the car up, right. you know? And <laughs> so, and so, yeah. so
2: I always look at the trace, like, so this is where GPS data and position on track is very important and having an accurate system to be able to tell you where you physically are. So you can actually look at the line as best as possible. Um, That's where that's important, where you're looking at it and you're like, um, am I running a similar line to the previous laps? Is that line a good line? And how does that compare? Especially when you're changing setups and you're changing driving. Like, if you can keep the same right, it's like a traction circle. The best thing to to set up a car is to run a traction (laughs) circle. It's not necessarily to run on a track. And so... It, it's hard, like, you want to make sure you're consistent. And, and, and obviously you don't know what the best line is necessarily because you have to play with that a little bit. But making sure, at least when you're looking at the data, if you're in, in in the right area and you're in a similar area but then your cornering speeds are higher, then you're probably on the right track. If you're not and you found that you're on a completely different area and now the cornering speed's change, and your speed is slower down the straightaway, well, yeah, obviously that's that's not good news. So it's that combination of data it's just not looking at one data point it's never going to be looking at one data point unfortunately it's never going to be that easy but um you know the systems for andrew like the apex pro stuff it's got so much capability in terms of showing you um the differences and all of the differences that are available for you that you can really narrow it down more quickly even if you're a novice at this and you know you know you're not used to looking at all that data
1: yeah to Mike's point about track position too um, you know a lot, a lot of folks are, are probably familiar with just like the readily available smartphone apps that they've used just with you know their phone which is a great way to get started yeah. with with login data but you definitely need a um, an accurate GPS and and a high sampling rate GPS for for racetrack stuff you know a, a one Hertz GPS is what's standard so one Hertz is like the sample rate you know it samples once a second and that's what's standard in most smartphones. Um, pretty much everything that I'm aware of, yep. smartphone yep. wise, is a one hertz. And so, if you just imagine driving past the start finish line at 100 and let's call it 150 miles per hour, and the sampling rate's only happening once a second, you're you're moving quite a quite a bit of distance in that one second. So, a, a 10 hertz GPS is usually the next step up. So that's either a you know a remote uh, roof mounted GPS that can connect with some of the smartphone apps as kind of the first step into like a affordable logger or then you look at stuff like apex pro and um and aim solo and other similar things are going to have a 10 a 10 hertz gps embedded in them um, and then to go even further there are 20 hertz gps's but that's that's a good way to get you started with like um was this a consistent did, did i take an approximately similar line this right. lap as in my, my turn in points kind of in the same place and then then you're looking at okay the line was the same looking at minimum corner speeds and to, to relate it back to turn one and predictive um, Abe with your original question um, exiting turn one at road Atlanta. Once your hands are relatively straight and the car is kind of starting to unload and you're going up the hill and you're kind of unwinding your steering, you don't really unwind it a whole lot there. You're kind of consistent right-hand lock a little bit, but that's a good place to, to glance at a predictive after you've exited the corner to get a gauge on, on two things. And it's a combination of, you know, the rolling speed through the corner and then your throttle, where did you get to throttle Um, Because you want to get the throttle pretty early there because it's high speed. And, you know, this is a whole different topic, but basically the faster the corner, the sooner we go back to the throttle pedal to, to, to stabilize the chassis. So turn one at Road Atlanta, you're on the power before the apex usually. And especially in a low speed car like that CRX, Adam, you're probably wide open throttle not far after. Um, you know, let's call it somewhere between turning and Apex, probably oh, yeah, two-thirds definitely. of the way there, maybe yeah. sooner. Um,
3: especially especially if you went through it 10 miles an hour too fast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And for yeah. for listeners who heard it on my, you guys might not have heard it, but my wife just screamed, they only have fish. Her favorite restaurant only has fish, and she is pissed. Oh, well, that's good. <laughs> no. Everything's getting shut down, and all you get is fish. From- I know. I don't know what we're having for dinner, but she's going somewhere to pick something up. But uh, we're not getting it from Gabe. First, toilet so. paper is pretty good. Yeah, get that uh, tasty. I, I don't know. That sounds a little. It's going to be
2: expensive too. So. Yeah, yeah. But um,
1: it's a delicacy. Yeah.
2: So so yeah. I mean, everything there, Andrew is all is all it's all it's good information and understanding. Where it's at, And then like, I was going to say one more thing to add on top of that is that's really where once you know that you're in a similar position on track now, you know that you've got a similar arc, you know, your, 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 your turn in line, you know, the apex position and then your track out position is relatively similar. That's when you can go to your traction circle and start seeing where that traction is available. And that's really the next step in terms of understanding that data and, and being able to go faster with it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. The, you know, I find the friction circle, traction circle, GG plot—you know, whatever you want to call it—you know—if you're watching an onboard video, it's the little uh, bullseye, you know, that has the dot that bounces around that shows you where the load is in the car. You know, the fuzzy dice hanging from the rearview mirror. But that is—it's really underutilized as far as people looking at that for analysis and going, "That's the—that's the easiest way to go." You know, answer the question: Was there more there? Because it's very easy once you know how to. Uh, to look at it without spending much time that the car had more had more grip available
3: i was watching a video that uh that you put out recently andrew from your start of your WRL race this morning because i didn't want to i was sitting at work i've just backed into the into the lot and i had to get out and it was super windy and i was super sick of uh of being so cold and i didn't want to get outside um And uh, so I was watching your video and I noticed that you had a floppy cord that like flopped forward when you made like left handers and braked. And so uh, uh, <laughs> have you ever placed things in view of cameras to use as like a more of an indicator that you can train yourself up um, like watching a video? You can see actually like where your inputs actually happened. Have you, have, have oh, you, you guys idea. used that before?
1: You know, I, I use it with uh, with the actual Apex Pro display for sure um, in videos as like a reference because when you watch, especially if like a customer, you know, Apex Pro user sends me their video or right. um, unless they send the data with it and they ask the question, you know, I think I can go faster. I just don't know. It's really easy to have an Apex Pro on the dash and there's a couple of red lights on it through the corner and then I already know, okay, there's, there's potential there. So then I can get the data from them and find, you know, what that... What I think the the value of that potential is. First of all, right. is, is it even worth going after? And second of all, how do we do it? How do we go get it? And um, what do we change? Um, but that that is a good good idea because I, I use the fuzzy dice. Thing a lot you know you're in your like 70s pimp mobile and yet you your dice hanging from your <laughs> rear view mirror so maybe i just need to hang some fuzzy dice in the wrl car and that that way i can explain the friction circle with my onboards easier or,
3: or your radio cord can just be in view like yeah because like, i know I'm that not, me i'm not crazy. with barber like i don't know where that track goes and so i was like oh man that's breaking there already like it's hard to tell yeah. like watching it like there was a uh, facebook yeah. video especially cool. yeah. there was
2: a like obviously like the old jdm videos and stuff like that where they do those um you know those competitions of carvers, car and stuff like that. They used to put the uh, yeah. the ball in the in the bowl, right? Those were always right. interesting. And then, exactly. yeah. and then one time on one of our videos, people pointed out that um, to tell what we were doing, he looked at the dirt on the floor. So that's nice. <laughs> yeah, <true. laughs> the, the dirt on the floor. A lot, was, of, uh, a lot of things could be that. Yeah, right? the dirt on the floor was flying around. He's like, yeah, there you go. You can tell the g loads from the dirt flying. As in long and out. as it's not.
3: As long as it's not like the oil filter wrench that Dan left on the floor. Yeah, no, no, not, like not Im- that bad. Impaling people, <laughs> all no good there. But
0: <laughs> you I, know it's been a long time since you did it, Mike. But I think we need more 360 videos. From we can do that. Those are those are pretty cool. We could, it, I mean, it, it's it's cool.
2: hard to like honestly. Um, some people were like upset because they were like, can we get the normal one? Like this is hard to view, and I'm like, but it's cool. Like you can look at anything. So, we've got those yeah. cameras and I'll put another one in. I'll definitely do that again. Um I'm going to put one on top of the car too. We wanted to do more with um I wanted to do that with um uh like uh, uh James GLTC car because I wanted to like, you know, show how close people were. You know, on the video after the fact because yeah. it really kind of yeah. it shows you know the proximity a lot. It is, better.
3: yeah, it's super cool and wheel to wheel, right. like when you, especially when you're in traffic and stuff. Yeah, but exactly. It seems like those videos had like uh, those cameras had like a heyday for like six yeah. months, and then it was like, oh, these take too long to upload. Yeah, no, and
2: it, and, and it is. It's hard to post process. <laughs> it's, it's hard to do all those things, yeah. but it, they are cool videos. I do admit, I do like watching it, and I even go back and and watch our you know 29 <laughs> 29s not fast twenty nine video from uh, from. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) That's all in, you know, that's all in 360 video and stuff.
0: I would expect the 29 to go to a track mod class this year.
2: And if I expected it last year, I'm like, what are these people doing? What's taking so long?
3: They got pretty close.
2: Yeah, they got close, but they didn't get there. Gotta do it. 29s. I, I,
3: I still remember when like, when, uh, when, when, it, when Unlimited was like brand new, uh, and, and like a 30, 35 was crazy. Yeah,
2: no, and we ran that 29, and everyone's like, oh my god, 29 at Gingerman, nobody runs 29s, and we beat that Radical, and that day was, I mean, that wasn't a, we didn't get the most out of that car that day either, but it was really funny, because everyone's like, oh my god, a 29, and I'm like, that sucked.
3: Yeah, the the progression yeah. in like door slammer's yeah. uh, and like production cars in the last 5 years just in time attack is like it's pretty it's pretty remarkable how fast you can make a a 90s and 2000s econobox go. Yeah, yeah. yeah but.
0: Well, what we talked about on the show uh recently though is if you th- if you take a guy like Jackie as an example, um new Supra tons and tons and tons of potential yep. in the car, but because of the electronics that give it so much potential, the money you spend on modifying it is to try to give you back some freedom from yeah, those. <laughs> more and more. And I think about yeah.
2: it too, because it's a hard trade off, what's, what's great about the super and what's great about some of these new cars that are coming up um, that I don't know if everybody else is thinking about, but all I'm thinking about is the transmission. Like being able yeah. to shift yeah. that fast is so valuable.
0: Yeah, but you and I have talked yeah. about TTRS. Oh my plenty gosh, it is
2: it is unfair. It is so unfair, and it is a am- like I'm not saying it's actually unfair. I'm just being a dick. But it is a am- mate like that is an overlooked portion of it that it that, that 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 value is so incredibly high. That's why I'm trying to put DCTs in everything.
3: Yeah, and and I think we're seeing more and more potential DCTs uh, happening in other classes oh yeah oh yeah
2: (laughs) every anything that i can put a dct or even you know the 8hp from from zf um i will put that in any car i can ever i'm gonna put a dct in the cobra so
3: are you
1: really
2: yeah yeah (laughs) i'm putting the m5 uh bmw dct the seven speed in the cobra oh wow Yeah, yeah it's it's happening right now i got the adapter plate all that fun stuff that's a different show entirely but that's cool yeah because there's no like I get, you know, oh, true manual pedal, all that fun stuff. Yeah, you guys are cool. I'm performance-oriented. I just want to go fast. This is how you go fast. And when technology improves, you improve with it. You don't have an iPhone 2, do you? No. You don't have a rotary phone, do you? (laughs) No, because you don't like doing that, and it doesn't have a screen. So – likewise...
3: Rotary phones are still pretty rare. They are. Though, I mean, see, nostalgic but you, but sake... But you don't want to work on them. Exactly. It. Yeah, you don't want to do them every day. Exactly.
2: <laughs> nostalgic sake says that they're fun, but if I can put a DCT in the Cobra, shift at 60 milliseconds, make, you know, 470 wheel horsepower at 2,000 pounds, and, you know, have a grand old time, let it run in automatic mode sometimes, and then run it in race mode where I could shift it myself, I don't see the downside. No, there's not.
0: That was the craziest part about riding with Micaiah at uh, Barber and the TTRS was, you know, even running a DCT, I guess my expectation was that people were always going to be operating yeah. in manual mode. No. No, no. He just he just left it in auto and yeah, let it do yeah, its thing. Yeah. And the car didn't yeah. stutter if once.
2: You, if you can program it, I mean, and, and if you have like, and if it was developed correctly, then don't touch it. And it sucks for other people like you know people who don't like automatics and all that stuff but if it's for performance it's performance I I get it but this is about going fast
3: yeah, it's not a 1975, like, GM right. transmission anymore. Right, exactly.
2: And this is not the, you know, that's like looking at F1, you're like, oh, I think they should shift manually. It's like, I absolutely do not think they should shift manually. No,
3: that's how they crash into each other. <laughs> yeah,
2: exactly. That's how you cause more problems. Like, I'm impressed right. by the capabilities of engineering and all of those things. That's what's so interesting to me. Like, I love the art of driving. That's great. There's definitely some times where shifting is a lot of fun. But for me, especially at least with, with my cars and the Cobra and that kind of thing, that these DCTs are getting so good that there's not a real downside.
3: Yeah, pretty wild. Agreed. How long did you guys record before I have done? Because we've been going for 25 minutes. 51 minutes. Holy smokes.
2: Ma'am, I told you guys I could talk. You guys know I could talk forever.
3: Yeah, I didn't know you had a recorder, so now, now you're a co-host of Slip Angle. Guess what?
2: <laughs> I got more jobs. I've got like 60 jobs now.
3: <laughs> I need to update my, That's what it takes. Yeah, I need to update to my resume.
2: It. Do you think that I can get hired otherwise, like other places with this? I,
3: I don't think it's going to help anything. No. it might actually. I'm going to put reasons. it on
2: LinkedIn now, though, so you guys got to approve it.
3: There you go.
1: There you Uh-oh. go. Uh-oh. Watch out. So,
3: Adam, you
0: had you had an idea of something you wanted to do on the show starting today. Yes. Yeah. you want to you want to tell people what she had in mind
3: um, I so I, I can I can foresee this uh, this current climate with the coronavirus and whatever uh, and massive shutdowns and like uh, forced shutdowns and stuff like really affecting some of the smaller businesses yep. in our industry and like for this foreseeable future um, I would love if uh, if if a listener has a shop or a uh, a niche company and would love uh, any and all promotion, uh, send us a couple of sentences uh, and a website and stuff. Uh, we would love to you know spend the the beginning and the end of the show just uh, spend a couple of minutes like telling you, the audience about uh, these small companies. Um, and uh, like anything we can do to give back, uh, and obviously we appreciate our, our Patreons and our and our supporters and stuff. But I think we all kind of need to support everybody for the next six months. Oh, yeah. So like, I don't think I don't think we want to ask any money uh, from anybody for a while. We just want to promote everybody if we can help it. So maybe a couple of businesses a show, and uh, if you're like a little niche tuner and you make your living tuning freaking Hyundai Veloster left wheels, Ooh. like I don't care. Uh, there might be maybe we can put some people together and fix some race cars and uh, and pay some bills. So, um, there you go. Abe, do you want them to email you or me or what do you think? Uh,
0: yeah, yeah. Uh, so our email addresses are now permanent at uh, Abe or Abrin at Tractune dot com and Adam at Tractune dot com. So uh, we're going to be using the the Tractune as a hub for just about all of the content that we produce.
3: Yeah. So if there's any businesses we can help out, you know. seconds uh, let's let's talk about you let's let's tell you tell about your business to more people we you know the more we can do Uh, because I mean in order to come out of this like say the say the world uh, everybody gets better I mean in order to have motorsports we need to talk about racetracks we need to uh, we need to talk about uh, uh, everybody needs to be uh, helping each other and uh, keep these businesses flowing so anything we can do uh, not uh, not trying to charge for any ad reads for a while i don't think let's uh let's just let's try to connect some people and maybe solve some problems for people if you have a if you have a weird little niche business uh i would love to be able to tell more people about it so
1: that's awesome yeah that's you guys awesome. are killing it um
3: you guys want to uh do you want to record uh, again soon because i think we're going to be bored for a while <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: I, I really think we should. We've got a lot of stuff. Ca- I mean, we did an hour and twenty minutes, and uh, it seems like we're just getting started. Yeah,
3: I, I think so too. Yeah, I mean, I, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta call my wife and see where she's buying not fish. There you go. But uh, <laughs> I'm
2: open. I'm open whenever you want. You know, I especially like it when people have specific questions. You know, I always like to help people. Um, if I can answer, you know, specific questions, because a lot of people have similar questions. Um, so if somebody has a question about stuff, I love to answer those So, like Q and A's. I'm cool with, you know, if we just want to talk, I'm cool with. I think we've got a lot of good information here. So.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. We'll, I'm on board we'll, for the same. Anybody with driving technique or that relates to, you know, data as well. I'm open to answering the questions here.
3: Yeah, let's uh, let's let's plan on doing another show next week uh, or this weekend if you guys have some time. We'll we'll see if we can put some together, and we'll probably make a Facebook post because like everybody just stares at Facebook. Oh people. man, yeah. Maybe get some questions. Uh, maybe Mike can tell us how to build uh, RVs. Slippery, I I knew it was going to come miles. up again. Oh yeah, we already talked about it.
2: <laughs> we're gonna do it. I told I told Aid that I was going to come down there. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna have to figure out how to get. A specific RV. We're going to make it super slippery. We're going to do some, um, you know, tests now because that's all we can do. We're not going to a racetrack. I don't think
3: we're actually going to make a. We're not going to make an RV super slippery. Let's not get crazy. No, I think I I actually think think this is a good idea,
2: and it won't cost that much.
3: I don't think super is going to be the correct okay. uh, the correct term. Maybe more. How about slippery. this? How about this? <laughs> RVs are jank. Have you ever tried to move a house oh, through, my gosh. Uh, through a windstorm? Ar- like They don't move. Ar- well. RVs
2: are jank. Right, exactly. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> They're you're, so terrible. You're starting with such a bad situation that I think we can make it pretty pretty good or medium good, and that would be a huge
0: improvement.
3: Mm-hmm. Any, any, well, any I, I think better.
0: especially about all the stuff that sits on the roof. Can we like put some oh, deflectors yeah. Yeah, around we'll, uh, around like the air conditioners yeah, and all there. that yeah. stuff?
1: Yeah, I think so.
3: Yeah, there's a lot of walls. Yeah. Like
1: everything is a wall on an RV. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah. I know. Oh, man, I'm in on this. We'll we'll bring an Apex Pro in. We'll set up a custom course. And we'll <laughs> there we system. go. <laughs> so, no, point A to point B, as fast as we now can go we've in Apex RV. Well, gonna,
2: we're going to do some drag tests. <laughs> then we're going to do some top speed tests to make sure, right? We got to make sure. I will not do the top speed test. I don't think that's safe.
0: <laughs> I I think that Adam's RV beats mine in top speed, and that oh is my gosh. Oh,
3: most definitely, man. My, my, my RV will keep climbing until, uh, until it runs out of, like, the ability to move the air. Like, if there's a tailwind, this thing will go 92. <laughs> there you go. If there's a headwind, it will go 70. Oh, God.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, let's try to get it uh, up to yeah. at least 85. I've been doing a lot of half-mile yeah, uh, cars lately, mile cars and half-mile cars. So I'm just looking for that top speed.
3: Yeah, I would I would love to record next week. We'll talk about uh, standing standing uh, mile stuff too. That's I did that one time, and it's like the it was one of the more memorable days of my life. Yeah, so. we can we can
2: definitely do that. Yeah. We got we got quite a that few customers cool, now man. that all do that half mile and 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 uh, and mile mile runs.
3: Yeah, it's it's a that's a crazy little niche uh, part of the the car Dudes hobby. They're crazy.
2: That's all I gotta say. They're
3: yeah. crazy. <laughs> What's the current like half mile record? Like two ten or two twenty or something? No, like,
2: like friggin' Miles curve, front wheel drive two thirteen ninety eight, almost
3: two fourteen in the half, half and a half half mile. Oh my gosh, it got so. And crazy. that's
2: my aero package. But then the the actual record I think is two fifty six.
3: In the half, I thought it was like two thirty or two thirteen no. or something, but. Jeez, something like that. Are, are they gonna, even? Is anybody even doing standing look. miles anymore? Or no?
2: Uh, they're they're a lot. They're a lot more rare, just because. Yeah, yeah, for obvious reasons.
3: Yeah, danger, danger, danger zone. Lots of danger
2: zone. Yeah, I, I honestly, <laughs> I don't know how those guys do it. It scares me, and I I focus so much on safety just because, um, right. just because it is dangerous. Right, and a lot of the guys um don't have a ton of safety equipment right I and mean, if you're going that fast it's hard to have the right safety equipment
3: yeah no you you almost can't have too much either right. like 10 years ago when i did it it was like 07 or 08 or something like that maybe 09 yeah. um it was with my red hats when it was like in drag car street car mode and i just had a half cage in the back and like they were like oh you got you got a lot of safety gear in here and i was like are you serious man <laughs> like I was I was like one of five cars with a roll bar <laughs> yeah it's, so I hope it's progressed since then no but, I mean
2: hey some of them have some of them have it i it's it's interesting to see um, who's yeah. got safety who doesn't stuff like that I don't know who the actual fastest is but like looking at it here we've got I just I just pulled it up real quick and and um, the one that I'm looking at at 259 so at least 260.
3: Jeez, that's insane wow. Jeez.
2: yeah it, it's, it's 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 just getting insanity sauce like it, yeah. it blows my mind and and then miles even running miles running 214 and a front wheel drive integra like that it just, whatever those guys blow my mind that's, that's crazy
1: i've learned a lot about um uh safety and like nascar and like pro racing because one of our one of our awesome dealers uh hms motorsport yeah. they're out of charlotte they do um they import Shroth harnesses, and yeah. uh, Joe Marco basically started that that business. And he's kind of one of the one of the guys that does a lot of like sled testing and stuff for NASCAR specifically. So they have a big NASCAR partnership. They supply all the Shroth harnesses for NASCAR. But it's fascinating. They use eleven point belts. Eleven? Eleven. Eleven. I don't think I've 11. even. They oh my They are gosh. tethered. It's wild. I, I had no idea. And they wow. they also don't have adjustable uh, lap belts. They don't allow – the NASCAR, NASCAR doesn't allow for adjustable lap belts. They're fixed lap belts. So if your inseam changes, if Ryan Newman eats too many donuts, he has to call Joe and say, hey – or, you know, his team calls him and says, hey, we need a lap belt adjustment. Hey, if, he, if he didn't take because the big – Ryan gained some If he weight. didn't take
2: the big pre-race poop, then he's screwed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's time crazy. for harness number two. That's right. Put <laughs> <laughs> the number two on. Had the many, there you had too many other Pabsts. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, I mean it's, it's, nice. I, I, it's interesting because, you know, as – as new motorsports evolve, the safety gets better and better. And and generally, older motorsports have a lot more safety, um, at least a mindset, because they've had the accidents that push them towards that safety. And so yeah. you've got these guys yeah. now that have these street, um, fundamental streetcars going 250, and there's not much to hit, but if they roll, then it's all bad news, right? So they're not going to necessarily hit a wall, but what they're going to do is lose control and, and, and then basically everything i mean they're just gonna roll for days yeah Yeah, you're you're disintegrating and that's what for me when i did miles's package one of the big things i focused on was stability because he was talking about how it was relatively unstable and i was like we need Mm. a to keep it stable, we need to work on the package to make it stable, and then we also need to work on it so that the chute comes out clean. So that's something I put a lot of effort into, making oh, wow. the chute come out clean, because if you ever watch some of those cars, you'll see the chute come out and then it will spin. There's a huge vortice that comes off the back of the car, it'll twist and twist and twist and twist, and because of that it gets dangerous because it'll drag the back of the car around. So oh, wow. I, I tried yeah. to make it on his car specifically so that it would the chute would come out clean, and it would just open and you wouldn't even feel the back end move around. It would just slow down. And so that's fascinating. It's, it's something that a lot of people do not think about, right? They think about shoot placement, right? right? You have to have the shoot in the right place um, in correspondence to the CG to make sure that it's not lifting the back of the car up, all that fun stuff, right? That's important. People think about that, but they don't think about the aerodynamics involved as to what happens to the shoot after it gets hit, you know, after it makes that hit, that initial right. hit, and what it's going to do to drag the back of the car around.
3: Yeah. Yeah. All right, well, my girls just walked in with uh, with dinner, so I'm gonna pop off. You guys can keep talking for another two hours. I
0: think no. we're done.
1: We'll we'll do another one <laughs> okay. maybe this
3: weekend. Yeah, man. That sounds we'll go sounds from there, good, guys. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, awesome. guys.
1: See ya. Thank you. Thank you See guys. Bye. Slip
3: Angle was created by Austin Cabot and Adam Jubey, co-hosted by Derek Yarbrough and production by Abram Schmucker, who mixes all of our terrible audio. If you like the show, please rate us and review us on iTunes and come and find us in the Pits at like Gridline to say hello.